Hi, I'm Joy. And I'm Janelle. And we are your hosts of the Melanin and Miles podcast. We are just two Black girls in our 20s who have traveled to over 25 countries and five continents. And we want to share our travel experiences and advice with you. Like when I went cliff jumping in Jamaica, or when I booked a flight for only $6, and even when I lived with a host family who didn't speak any English in Spain for four months. Or when I went skydiving in D.C., swam with elephants in Thailand, and won over $200 at a casino in Puerto Rico. Make sure you subscribe to our podcast and tune in every Tuesday for new episodes. Before we get into the episode, make sure you get your hands on our free Budget Babe travel guide to learn the top 10 ways you can be saving hundreds or even thousands of dollars on your next travel adventure. Get the guide straight to your inbox at melaninandmiles.com slash free. This segment of our podcast is called The Check-In, where we both update you guys on where we've been traveling and life updates in 60 seconds or less before we get into the episode. Hey everyone, welcome back to Melanin and Miles. It's Janelle here, and this week we are interviewing Michaela, who is a young Black woman born and raised in Anchorage, Alaska. After she graduated college, she lived and worked 660 miles north of the Arctic Circle in Norway. And since then, she has become an author and recently wrote a travel memoir titled Welp, Climate Change and Arctic Identities, which is coming soon, May 2021. That's literally next month. So exciting. (laughs) Right. (laughs) This book gives a realistic and beautiful picture of travel in the Arctic from visiting reindeer herders to hiking mountains to nearly getting in a fight at a Norwegian music festival, which... I'm going to ask about later. Yes. <laughs> and I've already read the intro and I'm really excited to see more when the book is released. But welcome, Michaela. Thank you for coming on the show. Thanks so much. And I'm excited to talk to you because it's very fun to find other people who are interested in environmental justice. We all need to know more about this topic. Definitely. So I guess my start off question Well, no, before I get into the questions, I want you to give the audience a little bit more of a background of yourself. Like I read the intro to your book and your bio and everything, but I want you to kind of like explain like where you went to school, what inspired you to start traveling um, and how you ended up in the Arctic. (laughs) Yes, I would be happy to do that. Uh, I was born and raised in Anchorage, Alaska, which is the biggest city in the state. And technically it's south of the Arctic, Uh, But my dad, he was the first generation to grow up in Alaska from the age of two in um, small towns closer to the Arctic, Tanana and McGrath. And so he was a big fisherman and I grew up fishing. uh, uh, Even as a black person in Alaska, it was like a huge part of our culture and family to be outside. And like my first word was ish, actually, like fish. (laughs) And, And my sister's first word was ice. So if that gives you any indication. Um, I went to school in Alaska in these highly gifted programs. So actually Anchorage is the most diverse city in the United States with over a hundred different languages spoken in our school district. Um, You know, 20% indigenous peoples in the state. And so 
I was in these highly gifted classes that were primarily all white kids. And um, I talk about in the book, I get kind of personal in that my dad actually passed away when I was in sixth grade. He committed suicide while surrounded by law enforcement. And uh, yeah, and so even though we had this kind of different um, upbringing, it was, you know, very interrelated to what's happening in the rest of America. And um, having this access to higher education, I ended up going to Duke University. You know, you come front and center with what are the inequalities in this country. Um, so it's always been my biggest dream to be in uh, policy work and try to change things a little bit. So being from Alaska, it opens up, I don't know, that there's multiple different forums dealing with the Arctic, like the Arctic Council. So I was working in Norway at the Arctic Council Indigenous People Secretariat. And the reason why I found that so important was because Black people and Indigenous peoples are being affected by the same systems of white supremacy. And it's important that we can work together um, because, you know, in Alaska, there's actually only 3% Black people. So it's important to band together and build um, more relationships across different ethnicities. So that's a little bit about me. And you can tell why I'm interested in the environment and in environmental justice specifically. Yeah, definitely. Um, first of all, I'm so sorry to hear about your dad. I knew he passed from the intro, but I didn't realize like that is what happened. That's very traumatic. I'm so sorry about that. Hey. Um, second, like obviously your book has a huge environmental justice component to it outside of travel. And you're looking at like the impacts of changing environments, climate change that would have on that would that would be on like indigenous communities and other minority communities. Mm-hmm. What yeah, but I oh, oh sorry. sorry, go ahead. Okay, sorry. Um my question was kind of like what advice would you give to travelers that are interested in going to places like these, like the Arctic, Alaska, to travel Mm. more sustainably and have less of an impact? Yeah. Um, Well, for one, you guys have talked about before, like it's important to use public transit. If you're in Europe, for example, there's uh, railroads that you can get up to Oslo and even further north than that. Um, once you are trying to get to Tromsø, which is where I was 660 miles north of the Arctic Circle, um, you have to drive or fly or take a boat in. And the same is true in Alaska. Actually, a lot of places in Alaska are not even accessible by car. You have to fly or take a boat in. And so um, it can be, you know, it's a big carbon footprint regardless of where you're going in the Arctic. Um, Mm -hmm. but I thought it was important to frame this as a travel memoir because I think that there's so many benefits to travel. My favorite part is just like meeting people who are so different from yourself and realizing that still there's a lot of similarities between us. Um, and so my, I I mean, I have tons of suggestions of places to go and things to do. Um, but my suggestion would be like, try to stay in a host family or something and stay for as long as possible. Like if you're just taking a weekend trip, then you have a big carbon footprint for just a weekend versus if you have the opportunity to study abroad or do a fellowship or work abroad for like a year, then your carbon footprint will be kind of minimized over time. 
Yeah, no, I definitely agree with that. And since you already mentioned you have a lot of suggestions of what to do and where to go, (laughs) Alaska (laughs) has always been on my bucket list. Like, I don't know why I haven't been yet, but I recently moved to Oregon. So now I'm really close and I feel like I need to go. (laughs) Yes. Um, Where should I go? What do you recommend? I know you're from Anchorage and you said that's like the biggest city, but I've heard cool things about Fairbanks and Juneau. Oh, yeah. I think um, Anchorage is a good place for like food. um, And if you're wanting to go out or something, you know, there are bars and things like that. It's much more of like an urban environment. I think a lot of people come to Alaska in order to see glaciers and wildlife and um, just these expansive landscapes. And so I would say the best way to travel, um, if you fly into Anchorage specifically, is to rent a car or a van or something and um, just sleep in your van and just like (laughs) drive all day. Um, Definitely make time to stop along the way because we have one highway, basically, the Alaska Highway. And um, you can get all over South Central Alaska, all the way up to Fairbanks, like you said, which is about a, a six to eight hour drive, depending on how fast you drive. And um, you can see so many things in that time. Like there, there are landmarks along the way, of course. There's like Denali, which is the tallest mountain in North America. Um, and, and there's rivers that I would say would be good to stop at, especially in the summer, everybody is fishing. And so it's kind of amazing to see, even if you're not fishing yourself. Um, But those are my suggestions, I would say. Well, this sounds like a fun road trip. I need to, I love to solo travel, but I don't know if I could do that in Alaska. (laughs) No, it'd be fun to do it as a group, I think, or two people, you know. Yeah, I need to find someone that's brave enough to go with me. (laughs) yeah I would I told all my friends when I went to Duke um I was also in a black sorority you know and so a lot of people are like black people in Alaska how does this happen um but it's actually I've been trying to convince all my friends to come and visit and open invitation I'll like guide you around if you come over (laughs) (laughs) hey I'll take I'll definitely take advantage of that (laughs) so yeah just let me know when (laughs) But okay, but that's really cool. So um, obviously you've been to Norway, you grew up in Alaska. Have you been to other places in the Arctic area? Yes, actually as of uh, 2019, I've been to all eight Arctic countries, um, including Canada, Greenland, Iceland, Finland, Russia, Sweden, Norway, and of course the Arctic part of Alaska. That's really cool. How, what part of Iceland were you in? I uh, I actually had a host stay in East Fjordar, which is in the um, West Fjords, which is kind of out of the way, like most people do the ring. Um, so I also stayed in Reykjavik for a little bit. and um, But mostly I would say on the West part of, of Iceland. Okay, cool. I've only been once and really the only reason I was there is because my layover was there and my layover happened to be like 30 hours or something. Nice. <laughs> something ridiculous, yeah. So, but even um, right outside the airport is crazy, like so yeah, different. Yeah, I was there in the capital and then I, I went to, what was, um, what are, what's like the popular like natural pools? 
the blue lagoon yeah blue lagoon that's it yeah i went there yeah. for like the day and then um spent the rest of the time like at the Capitol near the airport you want to hear something so crazy about the blue lagoon sure i'm sure it's <laughs> disgusting but it's okay, <laughs> okay. It's because, um, you know, the whole country almost, I think it's like 98% of the country's energy is based on geothermal, Mm -hmm. just because it's sitting on a fault there or on a um, continental collision. um, And so um, they will send water into the ground. And because it's hot underground from the magma, it'll heat the water up and, and, Actually, that's how you get like geothermal energy and um, the wastewater from the biggest geothermal plant in Iceland is the Blue Lagoon. Wow. <laughs> of course, they don't like market it that way. They're like, it's so healthy for you. And it probably is, but it is kind of funny when you think about it. That yeah, <laughs> that's funny. But hey, it looks cool, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I took so many pictures when I was there. Yeah. And I, like, I've heard there's a plenty, like, more natural pools there that are less popular. I definitely want to go back and see, like, the less touristy spots. But Yeah, the smaller ones. Yeah, I was only there yeah. for a day, so <laughs> I could only get in what I could. Yeah, I was living there for about three months. And one thing I liked about Iceland, too, is that um, it's kind of opposite of other places and that I feel like in urban like in Reykjavik people are kind of more conservative more business oriented and then in the rural places people are more liberal um so I really enjoyed like when I was in East Sofia there it was like 1200 people who lived there but there was always like the bars were always full <laughs> and um, I stayed with like my host parents one of them was a feminist organizer in town and the other one was a bass player. And we just had the best conversation sitting around the table. Aww. I loved hanging out with them. <laughs> That's kind of like the same vibe. I stayed at an Airbnb and the vibe was very similar. Like the family, like I literally like ate dinner with them <laughs> when I was there. Um, they had like a son and um, like her brother, like her brother was there, her husband was there and we were all just like really chilling yes. <laughs> that night and um they were also like very I guess cultured I don't know if that's the right word to use mm, but like, they when knew I first, a lot. yeah like when I first got there I think they assumed that I was French or African so they were speaking French <laughs> to me <laughs> but I I realized I mean like once they realized I was American they like switched over really easily but I was like wow you guys know a lot I feel like yes. Yes. No, that's true. I had all these political conversations with my host parents and, you know, they were, this was when Obama was still president mm-hmm. and um, yeah, they, they loved him and <laughs> we had lots of good conversations where I could kind of explain too, like, this is how America really is, you mm-hmm. know. Um, at the same time, I was there when President Trump got elected oh. and I was doing research for my thesis at the time and I had an interview with somebody the morning after, um, and it was just like so uncomfortable. They're like, "Congratulations <laughs> on your new president!" They're like, oh, "No, <laughs> worst day ever." <laughs> so, with all of these study abroad experiences you've had, and I guess travel based on school or work, how are you able to get the funding for this? <laughs> because. <Yeah. laughs> 
are expensive, but I feel like I'm sure you haven't paid that much. I'm sure you found scholarships and stuff. So give us details on that. Yes. Um, Like I said, if you can go for like a longer period of time, um, I mostly have been able to pay for my things through study abroad or fellowships. Um, Yeah, because I hadn't traveled all that much outside of Alaska before college. Um, I think I had been to Mexico a couple times because they have a one-way flight um, (laughs) or like a direct (laughs) flight from Alaska. Um, And so when I was in school, there were so many resources. I was a scholarship kid. And um, basically, my goal was to take advantage of those as much as possible. And um, I I had this crazy spreadsheet on my computer where in my free time, sometimes I would just be searching the internet at Duke websites and seeing what sorts of study abroad programs are there, um, what sorts of fellowships are there. And then I would plan out like three years in advance. Oh, I'm going to apply to this one and that one and that one, um, which is a lot. And people also were like, stop that. You need to live your life a little bit. Um, but I would say that that's, that's how I did it. And for me, when I'm applying to, I mean, I'm just me a hundred percent of the time. So like, you know, I told you about my crazy dad childhood experience, like at the beginning of this call. And so whenever I was applying to things, I wasn't afraid to really be who I am and be like, this is not okay. And I'm trying to fix it. And that's why I'm applying here. Um, and it was also my continuous interest in the Arctic. Like I studied in Iceland, I studied in Greenland, I was doing volunteer work in Alaska that had to do with Arctic and indigenous peoples. And also I was organizing on campus um, because there was a lot of like scandals that happened at Duke when I was there. Um, And so people could kind of tell like, oh, she's genuine about this. She actually does care about environmental justice and, and, then I would just like work really hard. It's like, I think I read, there's this book called Eloquent Rage that is kind of inspiring to me, It's like a black feminist novel. And um, she talks about how a lot of black women just do this aggressive resume building in order to get these opportunities. And that is really what's worked for me, I think. Yeah, that makes, I mean, I, in the exact same way I have binders I have excel sheets I have google docs I have (laughs) everything for every aspect of my life it could be for the podcast it could be for grad school it could be just for travel personally like I (laughs) I have some type of form that's saying like what I'm doing I mean I've gotten better when COVID hit you know that ruined a lot of plans for me so Mm, yeah (laughs) I've gotten better at going with the flow but before I was very like on top of it, like knew what I wanted to apply to. Yeah. And I was like, oh, sorry. No, go ahead. I was saying I was like heavily building up my CV or my resume at all times because I just wanted to take advantage of everything. Yeah. And we kind of need to like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> one thing I talk about in my book is like um, that in Well, when I was in Norway, I learned a lot about ethnicity, like growing up in the United States, we talk a lot about race. And even on those census forms, you know, the only ethnicity that they have is Hispanic and Latino or not Hispanic, Latino. And in Northern Norway, everyone is white. I mean, like skin color wise, but they're the indigenous people, Sami people, 
and there's Norwegians, and then there's also Kven, which are like Finns who moved over to Northern Norway. And it was like, wow, there's all these different, um, like identity is not just about, yeah, it's not just about your skin color. It's also about your worldviews and your values and cultural differences. Um, And I don't know where I was going with that, but. (laughs) (laughs) No, that's an important thing to pick up on. Because yeah. a lot of the time, you know, I go somewhere and I'm just like, yeah, they're white. But <laughs> yeah, I, I forget, like, there's other things that go on. And, like, I try to look up, like, the history or, like, what the cultural norms are, like, for each country I go to. But, you know, sometimes I forget. But it's something I should definitely, like, stay on top of. Yeah, that reminded me, like, one piece of advice I have for travelers is, like, always rem- always learn how to say thank you in whatever language w- mm. where you're going. Cause like I will show up at a place and like when I went to, I went to France once, I didn't mention that, but um, I really didn't know much French at all. I had a friend who was fluent and who was from there. And so that really helped me out. Mm-hmm. But, um, but I've learned that like, even if you don't know the language to know just some basic words, make yeah. people, you know, want to be friends with you, want to yeah. talk to you. People have like intentionally not helped me because I didn't try. <laughs> So I've learned the hard way that like, at least learn a couple words. (laughs) Yes. Yes. And thank you. Most people like to hear that. (laughs) So um, we somehow got on this tangent, but (laughs) back to some (laughs) of the questions I had, you seem to really enjoy, you know, cold destinations. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) But so because I'm the opposite. I, I love warm, but I am inspired to start traveling to more colder areas. Mm. Is required in your carry-on or your suitcase for bigger trips when you go somewhere that's cold? Because it, like if I'm doing a beach vacation, it's really like two swimsuits. Yes. <laughs> Maybe some sunscreen. But in the cold, you know, you got to pack a lot more, I feel like. So what's absolutely required? Yeah, I do try to like just carry a carry on, especially for shorter trips. Um, And of course, I'll wear my coat. Sometimes I'll just like carry my coat through the airport because I can't fit it in my carry on. (laughs) Um, And you've got to bring multiple pairs of socks because if your feet get wet, then you're just going to be, you know, it's going to be horrible. You're not going to have fun at all. you have, I always like to bring like a heavy sweater because then, um, you know, you might have anywhere between like 20 degrees Fahrenheit to 50 degrees Fahrenheit in the fall or the spring. And so like a sweater and layers in general allows you to add on when need be, take off when need be. And that's one thing I like about being in cold places because, you know, in hot places, when I went to Duke, for example, it was like 95 degrees. Like I could not figure out how to dress for the warm weather. I was just wearing like booty shorts every day. <laughs> it was not, you can't take off enough clothes to not be hot. And so um, in cold weather, I like that you can just like add enough clothes to be warm. Yeah. So that's Yeah. Yeah, that switch from Alaska to North Carolina had to be. <laughs> it was Very crazy. Both like. Yeah culturally temperature wise like everything had to be very different (laughs) it was absolutely a culture shock and I luckily my uh, I went to the Black Student Alliance Invitational which they invite all the 
black students who were accepted to Duke um, to come your senior year of spring. And um, it was like eye-opening. It was amazing because like I said, it's 3% black people in Alaska. We don't um, have that many black communities. I mean, I of course I knew black people, but we're all immersed in whiteness all the time. Um, and so it was, I was like, people dance at parties. Like, <laughs> I was like, I can't go back to not dancing at parties. <laughs> or, um, but yeah, my roommate, I met there. And so we stayed tight and um, still are, but she taught me a lot of things because she was from Georgia. And okay. yeah, so like, we didn't have air conditioning in our freshman dorm either. So she tied, mm. she showed me how to set up like the fan, so that the hot air would go out the window instead of in the window. You know? <laughs> hey, those are important things. Important, like no AC in North Carolina in the summer. That's sounds like hell, literally. <laughs> I was not raised for it. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So let's see. You've been back in Alaska for some time now, haven't you? Yes. Um, Actually, my my time at the Indigenous People Secretariat in Tromsø um, ended, like according to schedule, right before the pandemic in December 2019. So it was like four months later when everything hit, and I was like, "Wow, it would have been crazy if I had stayed on longer." A lot of people I knew had to like emergency fly back to the United States, you know. Yeah. Um, but what's also funny is that all the Norwegians who were in I don't know if you saw this in the news, but all the Norwegians who were in the United States, the government had put out this press release, like, come home to Norway, to our great healthcare system, leave places <laughs> like the United States. <laughs> so I don't know, maybe I would have been safer there. But in Alaska, it's, you know, it's kind of um, spread out in Anchorage, and everyone drives everywhere. It's not really walkable. So it's been a good place. Also now, we were the very first state where um, vaccines were available for everyone 16 and older. Oh, okay. So, That's good. Yeah. So it's been a good place to be um, during the pandemic and being near your family is really important too. Oh, definitely. Do you think um, Alaska will be home for a while or do you think you'll move again? I have such a wandering heart. <laughs> I think the Arctic is really important to me. Like it, it, I feel like it's just a huge part of my identity. Like even when I was at Duke, people called me Alaska, you know? Um, so I don't know who I would be if I left Alaska. Um, but I do have a job working at the Wilson Center's Polar Institute, which is a think tank about uh, foreign policy. And I started that during the pandemic in August 2020. And so I will um, likely be moving to DC, which is where that is based whenever I guess the majority of people are vaccinated. They're saying it sounds like maybe September or something. Yeah, so That'll be new because I realized I've never actually lived in a big city like Anchorage um, is 250,000 people, <laughs> Trump says 87,000 people. Yeah. North Carolina, yeah, nah, it'll be, yeah, it's gonna be days. different, I promise you, <laughs> um, but DC, DC is my favorite city, so you might like it, for, yeah. like, city-wise, it's, like, the cleanest, um, 
and it's pretty like relaxed because you can easily still get to like the suburbs or like drive into Virginia for like hiking and stuff like that. Yeah, so, I've just visited for a couple weekends and like public transportation. I actually really like public transportation because okay, we don't yeah. have it. That'll be easy. Yeah. I mean, sometimes, you know, the metro is down, which does get, <laughs> that can be, <laughs> not gonna lie. And yeah. the bus, I mean, the bus is fine. It's just traffic sometimes is horrible, especially in the summer. So the bus may not always be the best move to take. Mm, yeah, I heard they run late, don't they? Yeah. I remember it like, well, it was also like the 4th of July and a holiday, but literally no buses were able to move anywhere because traffic was so bad. Mm. <laughs> um. Anyway, well, thank you for doing this interview. We're a little bit over time, but that's fine. I really enjoyed our conversation. Me too. It's so fun to talk to other travelers. Yeah. Where can we find more of your travel stories and like, where will the book be available when it comes out? Yes. So the book is being published with New Degree Press and it will be available on Amazon um, for the ebook or to order. Uh, Also, it'll be available at Barnes and Noble. And uh, I am going to create a website, which is very soon to launching Um, And you'll be able to see some of the stories free on there because I'm going to make a lot of it open source. But you can also buy the book directly from me on my website. Um, My Instagram is at Mickey D M I C K Y D E E E. And I also have a Twitter at Michaela.Smith spelled like Michael with an A and Smith with a T. Alrighty. Yeah, I'll link all of that in the show notes. If the website's not out, just like send me an email and I'll link that later. (laughs) Awesome. Awesome. But but thank you so much again for doing this. Be sure everyone to check out her her book when it comes out. And if you haven't already, make sure you leave a review for the podcast. We'd love to hear your feedback. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much.